Good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to be back here again? Um, so, Colin, I guess when someone comes into the waiting room, it will just pop up. At the very top, it'll say so and so has entered, or two people have entered. Okay. And you just okay. Say. It's a little bit different from when I was here doing it. So, ah, okay. Be sure. Ah, so here we are again, and Colin says we're not closing again. So let's let's uh, may that be so. May we all continue to come and see each other in person. Um, and hello to everyone at home. So today I have a little handout. I don't have one for everyone, but maybe. Folks can kind of share. Pass these over. Another one. And then, uh, Tom, may I give you this? Let's see. I know what the picture is. All right, so for the folks at home, this is what I handed out. It's something that you may have seen before. It's kind of a famous drawing, and it comes from some years back. I can't remember who did it or when, but um, it's it's a, an optical illusion. When you look at it, what do you see? Anyone? Somebody's profile. I, I saw it. Yeah. A young woman faced away. Okay, you see a young woman faced away. Does anyone see anything else? The old woman. Tom, Tom sees an old woman. Yeah. Can everyone change in between? Can you swap your your uh, your eyes or your brain so that you see an old woman and a young woman there? Can anyone see them at the same time? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now. If you turn it upside down. Oh, really? Oh, if you turn it upside down, then then you see both or neither at the same time. It's difficult, though, isn't it? Yeah. Your, our brains are wired so that we uh, try to make something up there and see something. Um, I came across a. a an explanation of how this happens, um, that the retinas in our eyes take in so much information. Um, and it's, you know, color, light, shape. But then our optic nerve is kind of a choke point, and it kind of uh, eliminates some of the information that comes in through our eyes. So our brains have to process these images, and they do it in such a way that if there's not enough information there, they'll fill it in. In other words, they don't see, it doesn't process exactly what's there. It tries to make it something. So um, it creates a picture basically where there may not be one. It's an optical illusion and uh, it's hard to get beyond one thing or the other. So I was thinking about this in terms of our Zen practice uh, and we talk about two views or two views of reality, two realities in Zen. Uh, if I would imagine 
for myself and for most of us who come to practice, before we come to practice, we're pretty much just living in one reality. You know, there are people, places, things, events, um, things that we do, experiences that we have, and it's all sort of on the surface. We don't really look beyond that. We're caught up in what is coming in through our senses every moment. Um, that reality is very personal and it's very limited. You know, we see things, we view things from our own personal experience and with ha- what's happening to us. When we think about what we're going to do, we're pretty much caught up in, well, what does this mean for me? Is this good for me or not? So in this experience, in this reality, there's a lot of suffering. There's dissatisfaction, unhappiness, sickness, injury, and death. Uh, There's not getting what we want and being separate from our loved ones and so on. Um, Then we come to Zen practice, usually not because we're such happy souls and everything is great in our lives. We come to Zen practice because, well, we are dissatisfied or we're unhappy or we've, we've just gotten older and we feel like, well... You know, is this all there is? Just like that old song, this Peggy Lee song, is that all there is? And when we come to Zen practice, we hear about a different reality. And there are different names for it. Um, Ultimate reality, emptiness, Buddha nature. And we're introduced to the idea that this is beyond us. We are a part of it, and yet it's a big picture. It's big mind, as opposed to the little mind that's our everyday reality. Uh, If we read about the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering, we acknowledge our suffering, Uh, we are told that there is a source of it, um, that we are grasping at things in the conventional world, and that brings us suffering. But there is an end of suffering, and there's a path to the end of suffering. So this is great news. I loved hearing this when I first came to Zen practice. I mean, there's hope, right? That things will get better. That my life will be better. Uh, my relationships will be better. Everything is going to get better. So this emptiness or Buddha nature that I heard about and that we hear about um, and the promise of ending our suffering kind of gets us focused on this idea, this concept of emptiness, or whatever that is. But, you know, Zen seems to be so contradictory uh, about what, what this thing called Buddha nature or emptiness could be. It seems like an antidote for us, but then Zen tells us, ah, uh, Well, but the relationship between these two realities is complicated. uh, They tell us that form, in in the Heart Sutra, form, which is the things, people, places, the conventional life that we live, form is not different from emptiness. And emptiness is not different from form. So, to me, that's like saying, well, you've got this picture of two different things, the old lady and the young lady, form and emptiness, but form is emptiness and emptiness is form. 
So that's like saying the old woman is the young woman and the young woman is the old woman. Well, that's really confusing. Um, So how are we really supposed to understand these two realities or two truths? Um, Well, words are not very reliable. We can read a lot about emptiness and Buddha nature and so forth, but the words don't really convey the full meaning. And words describe the concepts that we have about these things, but the concepts are also limited. We say the way is beyond words, so what can we do? If our brains are used to dealing with words and concepts, then what can we do? Well, sometimes I've found that, um, and you may have experienced this too, sometimes there's just a turn of phrase or something's phrased a little bit differently to you, and all of a sudden, wow, now I think I get it, you know, or I see something there that helps me understand what these these things are about that we're that we're being taught. Um, so years ago, I came across uh, a different set of words that's used to describe these two realities. And it was uh, principle and phenomena. So when I Uh, had this talk coming up, I thought, well, this is a good time to explore that a little bit more. Go back. It's been years since I really looked at it. Um, And so first I went to the basic definitions of principle and phenomena. Principle, according to the Internet, take this or leave it, um, is a fundamental truth that serves as a foundation for a system of belief or behavior. A basic truth on which other truths can be based. So looking at our Zen practice, I think we could say that the Four Noble Truths are uh, principles of our practice. And the Three Marks of Existence, I think, are also uh, very basic to our uh, system of, of uh, belief or teaching. The three marks of existence are impermanence, non-self, and suffering. And they do serve as a basis or a foundation for Buddhist teachings. Phenomena, phenomena a phenomenon is a fact or situation observed to exist or happen. Something that can be taken in through the sentence. It can be heard seen, smelled, touched, tasted, described. So this corresponds to the conventional reality that we have in our lives every day, the way we function in the real world. Um, So the relationship between principle and phenomena, or between conventional and ultimate reality, um, I found it very helpful to think about what a scientific principle is, like gravity. Gravity is something you can't see, you can't touch it, but when an apple falls from a tree, you're observing the phenomena that relates to gravity. So, uh, 
The apple falling from the tree is an expression or manifestation of the principle of gravity. The falling apple is a phenomenon, something that we can observe happening. Um, this, further on this relationship between principle and phenomena, this, this word, these words are actually used. You'll find them sometimes in uh, our chants and teachings, sutras. In fact, on Tuesday, in the Harmony of Difference and Equality, we say each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit. Principle responds, arrow points meet. So, uh, if principle and phenomena, using these words, help you, you might kind of be on the lookout for them in some of the some of our texts. There was a school of Buddhism that actually focused very uh, closely on this relationship between phenomena and principle. It was called the Huayan School of Buddhism. Uh, Huayan means flower ornament or flower garland. And uh, the school was uh, active between the 6th and 9th centuries in China, and their teaching was based on the Avatamsaka Sutra, which is also called the Flower Ornament Sutra. Uh, that sutra was a compilation of Sanskrit teachings that uh, was put together maybe about 500 years after Buddha was teaching. It is, it is a almost like a psychedelic uh, writing. It's crazy. In fact, when I was an undergraduate studying Chinese philosophy and history, we had a, a selection from the Avatamsaka Sutra. And I was thinking, well, this is great. You know, now I really get to read a Buddhist scripture. Uh, maybe uh, it'll ring a bell with me. I can become a Buddhist. Well, once I read this, a little portion of it, I said, that's it. I'll never be a Buddhist because it's just, it's just really out there. Um, just to give you some flavor of it. Um, this is a gathering of uh, beings for uh, a lecture by the Buddha. And this says, At that time all the masses in the oceans of the world in the ten directions awakened by the Buddha's light all went to Vairochana Buddha's place and made offerings. For example, to the east of this flower bank array ocean of worlds, there is an ocean of worlds called Array of Lotuses of Pure Light. Among its world systems is a land called Diamond Mind of Jewel Necklaces. The Buddha there was called Infinite King Awakening Space with the Water of Truth. Uh, it's really heavy going for us uh, who are not used to quite this kind of language. And I think Flower Garland Sutra is a great name for it because it is very flowery. And, and the idea apparently was to um, help inspire higher states of samadhi in, in your meditation because it took you out of the conventional world. It took you into a different place. So the, there were five patriarchs in the Huayan school and then the school pretty much died out but their teaching was pretty uh, influential 
It, it incorporated a lot of uh, Mahayana teachings up to that point and also inspired um, further uh, exploration of the, the topics that they raised. And uh, Dogen apparently was also had also studied it quite extensively. So one of their teachings is called the Fourfold Dharmadhatu, or Realm of the Dharma. And this is all about that relationship between the phenomenal world and uh, the absolute reality. So first in the four is the realm of phenomenal events, which is the conventional reality that we live in. Second is the realm of principle, which is the universal oneness of things or ultimate reality. Third is the realm of non-obstruction between principle and phenomena. Principle is expressed or manifested or made real only in phenomena. And phenomena are all expressions, manifestations, or realizations of the universal or the ultimate reality. So that's how they go together. That's, they're not separate. Um, form, the phenomena, and uh, form is not different. Form is not separate from emptiness. Battery is running low. Okay. So the fourth realm is the realm of non-obstruction between phenomena. Phenomena don't obstruct each other. They work together like the box and lid fitting together. Um, each manifestation of phenomena supports every other manifestation of phenomena. So this part of the teaching is uh, relates to um, understanding interconnectedness and dependent co-arising. So for me, uh, understanding this relationship between form and emptiness or between the two realities is about the most important thing that I can, at this point in my practice, um, do when I sit. Can I bring those realities together? Can I can't really look at this picture and say, oh, I can see both at the same time. But now at least I know that there really isn't a young woman here and there really isn't an old woman here. It's just lines and shadings and shapes that, I, that my brain is taking in. So now I know to be careful, at least, when I'm living only in the conventional world or only with phenomena. Now I have to keep in the back of my mind, all right, there's another reality here. And this is, these are the principles that um, apply to everything that is here in the real world. Um, So concepts like emptiness, form, are misleading, but um, perceiving them for me as principle and phenomena really is an assist in my practice, and I, don't, I hope it will work for you. Um, the most important part, perhaps, of uh, this teaching for me is... Uh, a reminder that also comes from the harmony of difference and equality, 
where we read. Uh, let's see. Hearing the words or hearing, uh, reacting or interacting with the phenomenal world, understand the meaning, understand that this is only on the surface. Don't set up standards of your own. Realize that your brain is going to make sense of what it's seeing in a way that may not be true. So always keep in mind that there's something else there. Um, also, the uh, harmony of difference and equality tells us that merging with sameness or emptiness is still not enlightenment. So the uh, we can learn to see the Buddha nature in everyday activities. You know, there's a saying. <clears throat> there's a saying that uh, before enlightenment, we chop wood and carry water. And after enlightenment, we chop wood and carry water. Now, the phenomenal and the, and the principle are all interconnected. And uh, uh, our practice is seeing that. Um, I think the material that I saw that was most helpful for me was written by Dan Layton. And he has a book called Just This Is It, which was, uh, I saw portions of that that were helpful. And he also did a couple of uh, articles, I think, for Tricycle and some other publications that get into Dharma Datu and this relationship. So if, uh, if you're interested, I would say uh, Google Dan Layton and Dharma Datu and you'll find some information. So I hope this was helpful for you. Um, and if anyone has any questions or comments, I welcome those.